I've said to the kids, right, no phones in their room, and they've kind of said, oh, but I need it for my alarm clock. Well, you've just made me think, I might go out and buy a couple of cheap wee digital alarms instead. Absolutely. Get yourself over to Argus. They've still got those analog (laughs) clocks that we would have had. It does the same job. It's going to wake you up. Hello, you're very welcome to the Parentline podcast. I'm your host, Kerry McLean. I'm a broadcaster, a Parentline ambassador, and I'm a mum of three. And this is the podcast where we talk all things parenting, both the joys and the challenges along the way, wherever you are on your parenting journey. I think you'd probably be very hard pressed to find a parent today who doesn't have at least some concerns whenever it comes to online safety. Because I don't know about you, but I feel like as fast as I try to catch up with what's out there and what they're accessing and new sites or interests or viral trends or whatever, you know, are springing up left, right and sideways. I I can't keep on top of it. I'm not sure what I should be concerned about, really, and what I shouldn't be concerned about. Well, one man who can definitely guide all of us parents and carers through that particular online minefield is Wayne Denner. Wayne, he's with me today. Thank you so much for taking the time out for a chat, Wayne, because I know you're a very busy soul. So for those who haven't come across you before, tell us a little about the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kerry, I'm delighted to be here today. My name is Wayne Denner and I deliver educational programs for parents, uh, for young people, for professionals in the whole area of what you've just mentioned at the start of the piece, online safety. So it's everything digital, it's everything online, and it's really how do you use the internet and social media positively and responsibly. So a lot of my work is going into schools, uh, it's talking to students, uh, it's actually motivating them to use the internet and social media positively and responsibly. So I'm a big advocate of technology. I love it. I think there's so much potential, but there's also a lot of risk and there's also a lot of danger that we need to help our children and young people understand. And then the flip side of all of that, it's it's helping educate us parents, uh, people like you and me, uh, who maybe don't have a lot of understanding of what's happening in those online spaces, maybe some of the risks that our children and young people could expose to or get exposed to, but also how do they help start that all important online safety conversation? And we're going to talk a little bit about that today because that's really important. And something that I'm a, a big fan of is having conversations in the home about online safety so that your children and my children know that if something happens in that virtual, that digital world, that they can always come to mom and dad, that there's always help and support available. I have these conversations with my friends who are also in the same position as me, who have teenagers and they also have little kids. I mean, my youngest is six, my oldest is 16. And there's such a huge gamut of things there that you feel like you should be across, but you feel at the same time like you're feeling miserably. Yeah, look, I'm a parent myself with two boys, and and that's probably one of my unique USPs at the moment. I have two teenage boys at the moment who are growing up right in the middle of this, and they've been using technology now for, for some time. So I'm coming across firsthand the issues and the concerns that you're experiencing as well. And what I'm trying to do, at least in my work, is I'm trying to package that up in a user friendly way so that you don't feel overwhelmed because that's really important because you're right. There's a lot of technology out there. There's a lot of platforms. How does one keep up to date with all of this stuff? Because it can be a bit of a minefield. And I know that whenever I speak to parents across Ireland, across the UK, there is that sense of, oh, I'm completely overwhelmed with yes, all of this. Completely, I mean, yeah. <laughs> where, where, where do I even start? And I know some parents uh, who just, you know, and again, it's it, it's not 
their fault necessarily. They didn't grow up with the technology themselves. Therefore, and, and in some cases, actually, they don't use the technology either in the homes. So they're really struggling as well. And sometimes there's that bury the head in the sand. Uh, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. But that's not always the right approach. And I think getting involved in your child's digital world is really important. And thankfully, there's a lot of great resources available. There are a lot of people out there to help. And it's just about asking the questions. Well, let's ask the questions then today. Let's start, I guess, let's start chronologically. Let's start with the teenies. At what age should it be okay for your kids to get online and where are they safe? Where are they not? All of those questions, Wayne. Hit me with answers to all of that. Yeah, I mean, children are getting access to the internet and social media younger and younger. And that's that's a fact. Um, there's a lot of statistics out there. Uh, children as young as two uh, will start to get access to some form of technology. So I think it's really important to start early. And I think that's vital. Have those conversations early. And, and typically we've been guilty of leaving it till they're teenagers. And unfortunately, that's too late. Um, we need to be starting that conversation as early as possible. Now, parents will say to me, you know, I get this question a lot. When should I buy my, my child their first smartphone? Um, they've been hounding me for a smartphone. The work that I do in schools will tell me that children are typically getting access to smartphones in primary school school. But we need to start that conversation as early as possible. So what I always like to say to parents, particularly new parents, you know, your child is going to be getting a tablet or getting access to a tablet at some point. So start to introduce them as early as possible about the online world, about being safe in the online world, about, you know, being careful about what you click on. If you see something in the online world that upsets you, that scares you, you can come and you can speak to mum and dad about that. And we can help reduce the chances of that happening again. We want to foster and we want to encourage that the young person can come forward and can have open uh, and honest conversations with mum and dad. And I think that's really important. But the technology piece from a teenager's perspective, is, is a really interesting one. Because uh, once they get that initial first smartphone, they're going to start exploring this whole world. They're going to start to use many of the popular social media apps like Snapchat and Instagram and some of the others that are out there as well. And that's why it's really important for mom and dad to familiarize themselves with what risks and dangers are our young people going to uh, come up against. And how, before we even give them the smartphone, I think this is really important. Uh, sometimes if you give the smartphone before you have this step in place, the horse is almost bolted. So I think it's a good idea whenever you're considering as a parent buying that first smartphone device or giving them that first smartphone device, maybe it might be a, a phone that you previously had and you've, you've upgraded, for example, it's a good idea to sit down and set up those parental controls before the young person gets the phone. At least you can put some safeguards and some boundaries in place to help protect them. And how do you put those parental safety things you know, in place. Because I think even that can be different. It's different in different phones. It's different in different settings. You know, it would be so much handier if there's just one big red button Wayne, that you could press and they're like, right, that's grand. That's it set. Age appropriate, you know, up to a certain age. Yeah. And, and that's a good point. And the thing about it nowadays is, which is, which is nicer than it used to be, um, most of the major providers, and we'll talk about Android, for example, and, and Apple iOS, they're the two main sort of operating systems that exist on the smartphones. Now, thankfully, Apple and Android 
uh, have invested in some very good parental control tools, which are available. Now, these have got better over time. In fact, they're pretty good now at the moment. Uh, if you go in and you tweak them and you fine tune them, you will get a good level of uh, coverage uh, across the smartphone device. You'll be able to do things like filter content. Um, now, it's not perfect. Of course, it's not. Um, we don't live in a perfect world. So there are ways that young people can find ways around the parental controls. But for the most part, you can put in that filtering in place so that you can block access to maybe any adult content or inappropriate content that you feel that they shouldn't be accessing. The other thing that you can do as well through Apple and also through uh, Google Family Link is that you can set up the ability to be notified if they try to download an app. So you get that notification first in your phone. I think that's brilliant because that gives you time as a parent to do your research. If they can download apps freely on the smartphone device, you're going to lose track of what they're downloading and what they're using. And that can be worrying and that can be concerning for parents because not all apps are safe. Uh, there are certainly a lot of apps out there that I feel shouldn't be in the app store. A lot of apps aren't designed with the user safety first. And I think a lot of these technology providers and creators need to be looking at user safety first whenever they're developing these apps. That's really important. It's normally an afterthought. Um, and then they they bolt on some stuff that doesn't really work that well. And then there are all sorts of problems. The good thing about setting up the uh, the tools on the device before you give the young person the phone is that whenever they try to download an app, let's say Fortnite, for example, you don't know anything about Fortnite, but you're going to get that notification on your smartphone device that Johnny has tried to download Fortnite. You're going to go, OK, I need to go now as a parent and I need to take a look at Fortnite. I need to understand a little bit about that game. What are some of the parental controls built into it? What are some of the concerns that other parents might have? And then with that information, I can sit down with Johnny and we can have a discussion about that app. And I can make little Johnny aware of some of the risks and the dangers. Together, we can set up those parental controls on the actual game. And then I can make that decision then if it's appropriate for Johnny to be playing that game. So I would always encourage parents to take a look at these tools that are freely available on both Android and on iOS for Apple. And once you get them set up, you're, you're linking them back to your own smartphone device effectively. So you can go in then and, and on a week by week basis, and I do this with my own sons, I take a look at their screen time usage. I take a look at what apps they're using. How long are they using the app? I take a look at the number of pickups. And that's really interesting. That'll tell you each week how many times they've picked up their smartphone device. I didn't know you could find that out. Absolutely. You get a breakdown, a full breakdown of what apps they're using what websites they're visiting, and you'll get some other interesting insights that you may not have had before having this tool uh, in, in place. I didn't know. Oh, that's new. I didn't know you could find out how many times they've picked up their phone and things. You know, because you, you try to... You try to trust your kids, you know, like I, you know, my two eldest are teenagers and I've had a lot of conversations with them weighing about, you know, you have to be prepared to whatever you put online, you know, it has to, you have to be happy with knowing that it's out there forever. All those kind of conversations that I want to have with them. But at the same time, kids are kids, teenagers are teenagers. They're not always going to tell their parents things. And there is that concern that sometimes whenever I'm in bed, fast asleep at night, that they're looking at content or looking at things that I don't want them to be looking at. And I can turn off the Wi-Fi in the house. They'll just switch on to 3G. I mean, that they're far more literate with those kind of things than I am. So whatever, I kind of feel whatever I do, they're going to find a way around it if they're determined enough. 
And they do, and they can, and that's the thing. I've worked with many parents, uh, you know, over the years that I've been doing this work, you know, on a one-to-one basis. Children will find a way around. I mean, you know, there's lots of parental controls out there, but there's also lots of videos on YouTube that some teenager has created on how you get a workaround for that particular parental control. <laughs> so that's always going to happen, oh, and, and we know this. We know this even before the internet, Kerry. You and I know that. You know, you were a teenager. I was of a course, teenager. Of course, of course. You know, we're always pushing those boundaries. We're always testing mom and dad. I can remember back in my house, and I always tell this story when I speak to parents about there was no internet in my home when I was a 15-year-old. Computers were really expensive. Um, I think the internet started to become a thing when I was about 16. It was dial-up internet. But the, the parental control in my house was really interesting. It was the phone. And what used to happen is my friend... Paul and I would be making plans to go to a teenage disco on a Friday night. The phone would ring. My mum would shout up the stairs. Wayne, Paul's on the phone. I would come down the stairs. I would pick up the phone. Myself and Paul would be having a conversation about what we're going to do at the weekend. And then the phone would lift up in the kitchen. That second <laughs> device. And, and mum would be listening in. to, to sort, That was almost like the parental control uh, that she had in place. And I always remember that. And it always resonates with parents because many parents that I speak to were like, yeah, that happened in my house too. <laughs> But my mum didn't have to worry about the world that, you know, my children are growing up in today. And that's really important. We are the first generation of parents to grow up with all of this technology. We're dealing with it firsthand. So we're learning an awful lot. And and obviously the next generation of parents coming up behind us will be a lot better educated because they will have grown up right in the middle of this. And they're going to understand it a lot better than we did as parents. So it's almost like a huge learning curve at the moment. And there are a lot of concerns. There are, of course, a lot of risks and dangers and things that people need to be aware of. And that's why that education piece for mums and dads is really important. And what I try to do is give parents practical solutions and giving them a little bit of comfort that, you know, this is this is the world that our children and young people are growing up in. But you know what? There's always help and support available. If you've got a question, reach out, get in touch and ask it. If I don't know the answer to it, then I'm certainly going to put you in touch with somebody who can absolutely help you. That's a huge relief to know that there's somebody that, as a parent, that you could get in touch with and go, look, I'm a bit lost here. What do I do? I have to say that that some of the biggest help that I've had, my youngest, as I said, is six years old. And some of the biggest help I've had in terms of her and her access has actually come from her big brother and sister. Because I'll say to them, oh, you know, my youngest wants to download this app and she wants to look at that and they'll go, no, mommy, that, that's not good. Or oh, I've heard this about that one. And, you know, and they are so, it's so natural to them to know what is good, what is bad. They've heard all of the the chat about particular apps and things. So that for me has been a big help. I just wish I'd had two older kids again that would have helped me with my older two. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And that's the thing. I learn so much whenever I talk to young people in schools. You know, they'll typically come up at the end of a workshop. They'll be, you know, chatty. They'll be asking questions. And you learn so much about how they're using the technology and how they're using the platforms. And what we want to do is we want to empower our children and young people to 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 protect themselves online that's really important that we empower them with the skills and the confidence to protect themselves because a lot of the times mum and dad's not going to be there you know it's very difficult you know if they're getting into conversations online there's issues around cyberbullying grooming abuse exploitation Things that, you know, we may not know about until such point as something's happened and then they come forward. So so we want to make sure uh, that we're 
developing those skills that were empowering them to protect themselves in the first place. Uh, and that's really important so that they know how the tools work on the platform. They know how to report. They know how to block. But they also know when something's not acceptable. Um, they also have that feeling, this doesn't feel right. You know, they also can spot those signs and those signals if somebody is maybe trying to coerce them uh, into doing something that they don't feel comfortable with, uh, sharing an image or a video, or if they maybe have shared an image or a video and they're worried or they're concerned about that, that they can come and they can speak to mom and dad about that. And there's always help and support available. I think that's really important as well, because they're going through this world and they're encountering these risks and these dangers, in some cases on a daily basis. Um, and what we want to do is we want to encourage and we want to foster uh, that they can come and they can speak if something happens. 100%. That's what I always I've tried to drill into my kids' heads is that even if they come to me with something that I may not understand, I will always find them to help to to get it sorted. And I guess that's the thing for a lot of parents is we want our kids to know that there's nothing that can't be handled, whether it's, you know, in real life or online. Absolutely. And that's really, really important. And even if you're only sitting down as a parent and you're, you know, you're encouraging that in your home, I think that's, that's really, really a, a good thing to do. So say you have concerns, say you, you are looking at your your teenager and you're thinking, oh, I don't know what they're looking at. How do you begin to have that conversation about the guy need to be accessing what you're looking at on the phone? Because there is a part of me that, that kind of shies away from that in the same way that I would shy away from looking at their diary or, you know, listening into their conversations with their friends. There's that fear for me that I'm impinging too much on their on their privacy and that they'll resent me for it. You know, it's it's a hard balance. And it is. And the first thing to keep in mind that, you know, young people are entitled to privacy. You know, privacy is, you know, is really important for all of us. And that's why starting that conversation as early as possible when it comes to online safety, things that you might come across on the Internet and social media, and then trying to take steps then to filter where appropriate. And as that young person gets older, it's very much like the stabilizers. I think a stabilizer is a real good analogy of this. I remember riding a bike and there was stabilizers put on. But as I got more confident, uh, as my ability grew, and as, as I was being safer, those stabilizers were removed. I think we need to have those stabilizers in place really early for our children. And as they get older, as parents, we're monitoring, we're uh, learning, uh, we're educating ourselves, and then we are removing those stabilizers as they move and they get older. And as they get into the teenage years, particularly first year to third year, that's where that time is really important because that's where they're going to be exposed to a lot more online. They're going to be downloading a lot more of these apps. There's going to be potentially a lot more risk. Uh, and it's about helping them understand the risks and the dangers around privacy settings and making sure they have them set up to a level that they're comfortable with. We'll be back in just a minute after this short message from the Parentline team. Parentline NI is a free confidential service offering advice, support and guidance on any parenting matter. If you would like some support with any of the issues raised in today's podcast or any other parenting issue, please call the Parentline team today on free phone 0808 8020 400 or check out our Facebook page for more information. Now, on with the show. I think this time of year is probably more of a challenge than any other time of year because 
whenever my kids are in school, I know that they're not really looking at their phones, maybe at break time, maybe at lunchtime, whenever they're at school. I'm quite strict in terms of, you know, you have to have your phone switched off at a particular time because, you know, you've got to be in bed, you've got to get a good night's sleep. Occasionally, if I'm feeling very sort of strict with them, I will actually take their phones off them if I think they're on their phones, you know, late at night on a school night. But in the summer holidays, sometimes I feel like all the barriers are lifted because they're not with their friends. So they're accessing their friends and they're chatting with them online, you know, when they're on their phones, on their game consoles, you know, whatever way. And I think that this time of year is possibly harder to to observe, to kind of keep, keep, feel like I'm keeping on top of what they're doing and what they're looking at, you know, because they have so much more free time to be online. Absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head. That's a big thing right now. Um, and it is important for parents to keep in mind that they're not in school with their friends. So those relationships that they have developed during the school year, which are really important, maybe, you know, a lot of children have just went to secondary school, they started their first year, they've moved from the primary school into the secondary school, all of those friends now have dispersed into lots of different schools, and they've made new friendships and they've formed new relationships. So of course, we want to continue to help them be connected with those friends. And a great way to do that is through the social media platforms. It's through the internet. It's whether it's gaming. And I think what's really important for parents to understand as well, when it, not all screen time is bad. Um, screen time gets a bad press. Um, oh, they're on their, there they are. They're on their phone again, or they're, they're playing that game, or they're on the internet again. But I think from a parent, it's about understanding what the screen is being used for. And I think that's really important. Look, if the screen's been used for eight hours a day to play a fortnight, that's not going to be good for anybody's mental health or well-being. Of course it's not. So that's why it's really important to understand and set those parameters around how long the screen can be used for and what the screen can be used for. Like my own two boys, for example, you know, use their smartphone to access the guitar tuning app. One of them plays guitar, one of them plays saxophone. So they're using apps on their phone to facilitate the learning of the music. And that's we're, we're, we're cool with that because that's that's an educational aspect and that's an educational benefit. They also use it, my other son's particularly interested in languages. So he will use things like Duolingo, for example, to learn different languages. There's another educational benefit. So sometimes we think, oh, they're on the screen. They're on, they must be just wasting time on TikTok or watching YouTube videos when they could be using it for educational benefits and educational reasons. So that's why it's really important to sit down and go, you know, what are some of the things that you do on your smartphone or when you're playing that game? What, what, what are those games about? And what sort of skills do you find you're developing? So, and that's really important in the summertime to be looking at that because yes, they're going to be spending much more time on their connected devices. Of course they are. But certainly it's about having parameters and boundaries in place around how long they can spend. Like TikTok's a good example of this. You know, I don't know if you use TikTok. Um, I spend a bit of time on TikTok myself. TikTok's like a huge rabbit hole. Um, and you go on to TikTok with the intention of just having a quick scroll through the feed. And before you know it, two hours have passed. It's purposely designed in that way to keep you there. The algorithm, for example, on TikTok is really clever. The longer you spend watching a particular type of content, the more of that content you're going to see. The, you know, based on, you know, even the things you're searching about. So it is about understanding that these these smartphone apps, uh, these platforms are designed to increase engagement and increase the time spent on the platform. That's important for us as parents to understand. That said, TikTok, for example, have brought out a series of parental controls that parents can use. In particular, one's called a 
digital or family pairing digital where you can pair your parents TikTok account with your son or daughter's TikTok account you then can go in and limit the time per day that they can spend on TikTok you can turn on the filtering aspect of that so it can filter out any inappropriate content now it's not perfect I'm not going to say that it is there are flaws in it but it's better than nothing some of the other platforms that are popular don't have any of these parental controls in place you can turn off the ability for direct messages to be sent or be received on TikTok. So there are, you know, positive moves in some respect from some of the social media platforms. And again, I would encourage parents, particularly in the summertime now, to go in and explore these, to go in and set them up. So if you have to go out to work or you maybe you're not there just to keep an eye or supervise, you can have a little bit of comfort in knowing that there is some boundaries in place. Uh, and, and they're not just sort of using it sort of freely to access whatever they want, whenever they want. See, I hadn't heard about that with TikTok and that you could pair an account with your child's account before. See, we and every time that I hear you speak, I learn something. I come away going, oh, right. OK, I wish there was just one place where you could go and there was like a list of all of the accounts and everything where you could go. Let me just see about that one. Let me just find out. Because like you said, you know, you have to go away and do your own research. But sometimes even that's quite hard because you don't know where to start doing the research. Search. And that's the thing, you know, there's a lot of information on the internet. As you know, whenever you go in to look for anything, it's just a rabbit hole. Uh, it's about, I think what's really important for parents, it's about finding trusted information, but also that it's got some practical things that you can do as well. And if it's, you know, let's say you're a parent, you've got the internet in your house, you're not sure, oh, well, I don't know who we have for broadband. Forget about that. Go and take a look at a tool called OpenDNS, for example, which is a free tool. They've got a free tool there called Family Shield, which will allow you to change two settings on your router and they'll they'll take care of all of the filtering in terms of the content coming into your home. So they'll block things like adult related websites by default. So you don't need to remember what all of those different inappropriate websites are. They take care of it for you. Now, again, not perfect. There will be certain exceptions where things will slip through, of course, but it'll give you a good level of coverage. They do things like, you know, they allow you to go in and then set up the filtering level. You know, you can have high, you can have medium, you can have low, um, or you can have custom, where you can go in then and individually block access to certain apps and certain websites. But I always say to parents as well, we've got so many connected devices in our homes right now, Kerry. You know, I had a parent recently reach out to me who had removed all of the connected devices from her home because her son was using the internet and spending too long on the internet. And then two days later, she found he was back on the internet. She was puzzled. And I says, well, what other devices do you have in the home? And she goes, well, what do you mean? I says, do you have a smart TV? She goes, we do. He was getting access to the internet through the smart TV because all of our smart TVs now have a browser. You can even download apps onto the smart TV now. So you need to look at the smart TV as an access point to the internet as well and make sure you set it up within your parental controls or your filtering software. When my heart goes out to that <laughs> mommy, that wouldn't have occurred to me either. In a million years, I wouldn't have thought about the smart TV at all. Yeah. Alexa is another good example. Like I didn't know this until recently, but my son was phoning me from the house one day and we, he hadn't got his smartphone because it was in getting repaired. He dropped it and he'd smashed the screen. But now he phoned me from the house and I'm like, Johnny, how are you phoning me? And he says, through Alexa. I didn't actually know that you could phone people through the Used Alexa smart speaker Used to in me your as house. well, yeah. So there, so there we go. All of these different connected devices allow us to connect and access that digital world uh, you know, through a multiple multitude of different ways. 
Well, Wayne, the one thing I want to ask you about, or, or rather another thing that I want to ask you about is I have two big fears as a parent whenever it comes to my kids and anything online or digital. One we have talked about, which is them being accessed from the outside world and, you know, the, the fear that that just injects into me. But the second one is that they will do something silly or put something out there or do something digitally that will be floating about in the ether forever. You know, I've got a 16-year-old girl, a 14-year-old boy, and it, that scares me as well, that something will be done in a moment that's a silly thing and then in 10 years, 20 years' time, it'll come back to bite them in the bum. I mean, how do you start to, to address that issue with kids? Conversations are going to be really important about this stuff. Um, I wrote a book back in 2015 called The Student's Guide to an Epic Online Reputation. And it's the pre it was the precursor to actually everything I've seen so far. Politicians, celebrities, sports professionals, all either posting something, sharing something, uploading something to the internet that is circulating or has been found by someone else. And there's lots of examples that we can think of, you and I right here now, where we know that's happened to someone. I mean, we've got lots of examples. There, there, there's loads of them. And couple, the reason some of that has happened is a lot of those people who have had that happen to them did not get the education that we're talking about today. So they just went on to social media. They didn't think of the ramifications. They didn't think that by saying that about someone could maybe be perceived to be libelous or could be defamation or could land you in the courts. And there's been lots of examples where that's happened, particularly on platforms like Twitter, um, where people have said things about other people and somebody has taken a case against them. So that's what's called a person's online reputation. And we all have an online reputation now. In fact, our children's online reputation actually starts before, uh, in some cases, they're even born. And think about that for a moment. How many times have you went on to Facebook and have you seen uh, a new parent announcing uh, that they're, they're pregnant and a scan of the baby has went up on Facebook? I mean, we've all, I've seen that. I mean, I've seen that recently, actually. That is effectively that young person's first digital footprint. I mean, that, that they're not even born at this stage and, and that's there. Now, you know, that that's the parent obviously creating that digital footprint. That's so I mind-blowing, think, that really is, to think, you know, and, and I've done that. I did that with my last one and now I'm thinking, oh, gosh, right now. And, you know, the, the state of California actually passed a law a couple of years ago to say that a young person has a right to get that content removed because they did not give permission to that content uh, being posted on the first place. And I think there's a really important thing to think about here. And this is something I've started to get into the habit of. If I'm taking pictures of my children, I ask them now, look, do you mind if I share this on Facebook? I think that's really important. That doesn't happen in a lot of homes. A lot of people don't do that. They post pictures of their kids all the time on the internet and they haven't asked permission. Because here's what's going to happen is, particularly if you're you know, sharing those things publicly, you don't have the right privacy settings in place. Your son or daughter is going to come back to you at some point, and I guarantee you this will happen. And they're going to say, can you take that picture down? Now, that might happen for a couple of reasons. Some other person has seen that picture of them as a young person and has taken that and is now using that to bully them. And that has happened a number of times where I've had parents reach out to me where that exact example has happened. So that's where I think it's really important for mums and dads to say, look, hey, Johnny, hey, Charlie, you know, we're taking this picture. Do you mind if we post this on social media and give them an opportunity to say, well, no, I wouldn't 
want that posted or at least let them look at the picture so yeah. that they know right well I know what it's like and I'm, I'm happy that I've consented to that so consent is really important around these types of things as well so that's where the sort of th the thinking needs to start from then as children and young people then get access more and more to these platforms we start to make them aware of their digital what I call a digital tattoo um, the more you post and you share on the internet the larger your digital tattoo gets now, it can be positive or it can be negative. And in fact, you make that decision as well. Now, I know there are times when children and young people will post things like memes or other forms of content on the internet. Well, maybe they were a little bit younger and they didn't think of the ramifications or the impact that it might have. That's why it's really important to think before you post anything online. Because although you can go back and delete things, the longer something's on the internet and social media, the harder it is to remove. Because what happens is other websites scrape content from different platforms. And if you don't have the right privacy settings in place, then that information can make its way onto the larger search engines. It's a scary thought, isn't it? You know, I'm so glad I have uh, of a generation where, you know, we went out on a Friday night, we might have misbehaved. And unless somebody had a camera with them, which, you know, rarely happened, you know, there was no... There was no history of it. There was no, <laughs> there was no forever, you know, for all of the images and stuff out there. You know, it's, it's such a, it's such a different way to live. And it's so hard for parents of my generation to get your head around, around that, you know, never mind the kids. And the thing about kids is that, especially with teenagers, they live in the here and now, they live in the moment. So I've tried to have that conversation with my kids where I've said, you know, always be aware that whatever is taken of you or said about you or you say is online is going to be there for a long, long time. But I think that's a hard thing for kids to to get their heads around, never mind the parents. Well, what, what we ultimately want to be encouraging our children to do is, you know, use the platforms positively and responsibly. And there are exceptions and there are things go wrong. Look, it would be remiss for me to sit here and, and say that, you know, things don't get posted on the internet that a person maybe wishes that they didn't post. That happens all the time. And that's where I feel that education piece is really important because there's a huge opportunity to start introducing children and young people to their online reputation, but also how they protect and manage it. They ultimately are responsible for it. Uh, but also they need to be aware of what other people post as well. You know, other people can post pictures and tag you in it and that information can appear on the internet. So there's a huge opportunity for them to generate positive content. And also keep in mind that in the future, yes, employers are going to look at this type of stuff. You know, if you don't have the privacy settings set up the right way on your account, TikTok's a good example of this on Instagram. There was an announcement a couple of months ago that TikTok and Instagram are having conversations with Google at the moment to make TikTok videos and Instagram videos available in Google's search engine results. And that raises alarm bells for me, for somebody who works in this space, because the thing about TikTok and Instagram in particular is many young people set these accounts up the first time around and they were public by default, meaning that they probably haven't went back and checked their privacy settings. So I always encourage young people to take a look at your privacy settings. After our session, after our workshop, go away, go into TikTok and maybe mark your account to private. Because if that was to happen where those videos would be available in Google search engine results, what that ultimately means, Kerry, is if somebody searches your name, they're going to find your TikTok videos. If somebody searches your name, they're going to find your Instagram videos. And some of those videos that you have posted, you may not want those to be publicly available. 
And that's why the privacy settings are really important on the platform. Look, this already happens on Twitter. Like you can go into Google right now and you can type my name into Google and you can find all of my tweets. They're there. So I have to be aware of that. So it doesn't matter whether you're a young person, you're a politician, you're a sports professional. And I've worked with a lot of sports professionals and I still do to this day where I help them with issues around online reputation management. I work with a lot of youth players who are maybe going to become professional players, going to move across onto senior teams. And my role is to help them understand the world of online reputation and how to look back at maybe what they posted in the past and refine their profiles, remove and also close down some of the older accounts that they don't use anymore. Because a lot of the times that information is publicly available for people to search. And it only takes something to happen and somebody goes and starts digging around or Googling around and they find some things that you might have posted in the past. And there's a lot of examples and we can all think of examples where that's happened. So I try to encourage young people in the workshops to use the internet and social media positively and responsibly, but think ahead. Be responsible and think ahead, right? Yes, the next two to three years, four years, five years, you're going to be in school. But pretty quickly, you're going to be leaving the gates of this school and you're going to be going out into the world of work. It's a very competitive world out there. You want to make sure that you stand out above everyone else. And a great way of using social media positively and responsibly is creating positive content. The more positive content you've got out there, the more positive opportunities it's going to open up for you. As I always say, you can use social media to attract negative attention or attract positive attention. You decide. And again, I guess it's one of those things where you can't start early enough having that conversation with the kids in your house. Absolutely not. I mean, anybody who's listening to this today, who's maybe a new parent, you need to start thinking about it because this is the time to start it. Because look, I've went into houses, I've had, you know, family members who've had newborns um, and who've become toddlers. And a lot of those houses that I walk into right now, those kids are sitting on tablets. I mean, I remember reading a, an article in the somewhere anyway that there was a cot manufacturer that was bringing out no. a cot where you could actually no. you could actually put your iPad into it and it would play white noise. So technology is absolutely everywhere. And the other big thing that I say to parents: no technology in the bedroom, absolutely none, none. And that goes for parents. Uh, and this is something that I've really struggled with over the years is the impact that technology's had in my own life. I find that technology increases your anxiety. Uh, it can increase your heart rate. It can impact your mental health and your well-being. And it's not me telling you this. There's lots of credible uh, research papers out there to say that. The blue light at night going off interrupts your sleeping pattern. Again, lots of good studies out there to say that that is is a fact. So what I always say now, and this is something that I, again, I use this myself. I've removed technology from my own bedroom. We don't use the, the smartphone as an alarm clock anymore because there's too much uh, temptation. If you can't sleep at night, Kerry, there's too much temptation to reach over and pick up that phone and start scrolling. And the more you do that, the more that's going to have an impact on your mental health and your wellness. The next day, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be tired. So this is happening in our children who are going into schools. And I've spoke to principals. I work with a lot of schools here in Northern Ireland, and they'll say that this is a real challenge. The technology has been used late at night. The technology has been used in the bedroom. Children are gaming right up until they go to bed. You need to make sure that you're breaking that cycle. And a good idea is no gaming for at least one hour 
to one hour and a half before that young person goes to bed. Because what happens is if they're just coming off that game console and they've been playing three or four hours a fortnight, they're going to be overstimulated and they're going to get into bed and their mind is going to be racing. They're not going to be able to sleep. And that is going to have a knock on impact on the next day when that young person goes into schools. Teachers are experiencing this firsthand. So my message to parents is start to remove some of those technology elements from the bedroom. I don't believe personally, uh, and it's the same in my home, that you need to take a smartphone to bed at night because I was guilty of it, Kerry. I was reaching over and I was picking up that phone. If I'm doing it, I I can assume that our young people are doing it as well. So what we've done in our home is all smartphones left downstairs when you go to bed. And again, the next day you can come down and you can check them and you can pick it up. But we have that rule in place. Now, it took a little bit of time to implement that for everybody, including the adults in the home. Um, But once we got over that and once that habit had developed, it's been a game changer in my home. And I think it could be a game changer in every other person's home. Wayne, you've inspired me to do it in my home because I'm I'm a really bad sleeper at the best times, but I am. I'm sitting here today with a cup of tea in my hand and I know I'll be going for loads of caffeine because I was the same. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning, got onto my phone and that was me, I think, until about seven o'clock this morning when I had like a half hour snoozing and up to face the day. And I have tried that in the past where I've tried, I've said to the kids, right, no phones in their room and they've kind of said, oh, but I need it for my alarm clock. Well, you've just made me think I might go out and buy a couple of cheap wee digital alarms instead. Absolutely. And do that. Get your get yourself over to Argus. They've still got those analog <laughs> clocks that we would have had with the AA battery in it. It does the same job. It's going to wake you up. Look, the other thing to keep in mind as well from a parent perspective, start to use the screen time tools in your phone. I mean, Apple and Android have a couple of really good modes now where you can actually start to put your phone to sleep at a certain time each evening. So here's what we've done in our home. And it's a really simple thing to do. Everyone now's phone goes into sleep mode, starts to go into sleep mode from about 8 p.m. Now, what that means is no more notifications are received after 8 p.m. Now, notifications are the biggest culprit because if you're getting notifications, you're going to pick up your phone. And all of these smartphone apps love you to have your notifications turned on because it increases engagement, increases time spent on the website. And there's evidence out there around a dopamine release and all of that sort of stuff, right? So the smartphone tools that are built into your Apple phone and your Android phone will allow you to set up that sleep mode. So we start ours about eight o'clock. Now, I can still pick up my phone and go in and use Twitter. I can use Snapchat. I can use Instagram. But here's the brilliant thing about it. I'm not getting bombarded with notifications. And what I found is because the notifications have been disabled on the screen time tools, I'm less likely to look at my phone. I actually almost forget about it now, which is so, so uplifting. You know, it's so important. I'm like, I forgot about the phone. Whereas before I was picking it up every so often yeah. and I was checking those notifications because they yep, were going I off. Do the same, yep. yeah. Now, about 10 o'clock, what happens then is my phone goes into complete sleep mode, complete grayscale. I don't actually need to turn the phone off. And even if you can't remove the phone from the bedroom, this is actually going to help you not pick up the phone because that blue light isn't going off. It's in grayscale. The phone has almost went into suspended animation until the next day. And then what happens is then I've got a a little alert and I can even hear it ringing downstairs. The wake up mode comes on about seven o'clock and I can hear that wake up mode, but it gives me a little bit of time. And what I like to do is no phone for an hour when I wake up. That's my rule. No phone for an hour. It doesn't matter what's happening. doesn't matter what's urgent. No phone for an hour because it helps me 
get into the mood for the day. It helps me work with the children that morning, get them out to school. It helps me get the dogs fed, get the all of that type of stuff that we do as a family, myself and my wife. That's really important because if you're picking up that phone, you're already going to be distracted. So our rule is, again, an hour and a half to two hours before bed, no phone or no technology, no gaming devices, and then no phone for an hour when you wake up. That gives you time to do a little bit of reflection, a little bit of mindfulness, uh, and set your day off in the right foot. So again, please, parents, explore those tools. They're there. Set them up. Listen, you've won me over completely because I am guilty of that. As soon as my eyes open in the morning, I reach for the phone to check what have I missed, what's been going on. And, you know, here I am talking to you about how to look after my kids. But you're right. Parents kind of need to set the example here, really, don't we? Absolutely. And this is the thing. This is the this is it. Listen, children learn from example. We know that. Right. And if you're a parent and you're going around your day and you're picking up that phone all the time, you've got your head stuck in Facebook, talking to your besties. You know, you're on Twitter, scrolling through that news feed. You're on YouTube or in some other real extreme cases, parents are becoming the content creators themselves where they're looking to become these influencers. And there's a lot of them in Northern Ireland. And that's not always setting the best example for our children and young people. And I've seen a lot of these influencers who, you know, have had a little bit of fame, had a little bit of success and social media, but not necessarily setting the best example for our children. And in some cases are recording every aspect of their child's life and putting that out into the internet. My question for that parent will be, where is that content ending up and who has access to that? And again, in the future, would your young person want that content to be out there? So there's a little bit of thinking uh, and a little bit of reflection. That's the key word, a little bit of reflection from a parent, parent's perspective of how they themselves are using the technology and that they're trying to set um, a good example or as good example as they can possibly set. And would you encourage then parents and kids to go through like a regular digital detox? I mean, would you encourage the kids that you're talking to as well as the parents to say, set everything down, step away from it, have a wee break? Uh, big digital detoxes, Kerry, the research will indicate don't typically work. Um, and the, what I seem to think works really well is the smaller detoxes. And this is where the conversations are really important. Like we've got a camper van and we like to go away as a family to like, you know, Newcastle and up the North Coast and like places like that. And we have a little bit of a rule around that as well, where we do try to do mini detoxes when we're away. We don't take our phones out when we're out exploring Port Rush, for example, or we're in Glenarn or we're somewhere else. We leave the phones in the van. And that's a great time for us as a family to reconnect. You know, we were out yesterday for a walk in Kilbrony Park, you know, my two sons and the dog and my, my wife and we were, you know, again, no technology there as well. You know, again, having that opportunity to reconnect as a family, I think is really, really important. The technology is always going to be there. I remember Paul Clark in UTV one time saying an interesting thing to me. He said uh, in an interview we were doing, he says it should be we control the technology, not the other way around. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it, you know, because again, we do control the technology. But what we're finding is happening now is we're letting the technology control all aspects of our lives. And as we move into this whole new world of the metaverse and AI and VR, that's only going to ramp that up where technology is going to be more central to our lives. So I think we need to look for opportunities to disconnect in order to reconnect. And I think that's really important. Disconnect in order to reconnect. By all means, a digital detox will help. Um, but the smaller detox you're going to find, you have much more of a success. It's about starting small. That's really important. It's not about, you know, after this podcast today, going away and removing all the technology from the home. 
setting up all of these things. It's not. It's about taking one or two key things that we've discussed today and said, you know what, I'm going to try that and I'm going to see how that works for my family. The smallest changes when it comes to technology in the home can have the biggest impact and look for opportunities as a family unit to remove the technology so that you guys can get back and reconnect a little bit better. And I think that's going to be so important. I'm going to be taking away loads of what you've told me today and having a go at it. First stop is off down to the shops to get some of those alarm clocks for the best bedrooms for nighttime. But Wayne, thank you so much. So many great tips, so much fantastic advice there. I really appreciate it. Thank you. No worries, Kerry. I've been delighted to to spend a little bit of time and, and share this information with you today. Cheers. Thank you so much. I'm off to disconnect and reconnect with my own family here at home. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Parentline podcast. If you'd like access to the next episode as soon as it goes live, just click follow wherever you get your podcasts. Parent Line, we love supporting as many parents and carers as possible. So if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love you to consider sharing it with a friend, colleague, or family member. Don't forget, if you would like support or guidance with any parenting issue, we're here for you on 0808 8020 400. Catch you on the next one.